my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm your Uncle Daddy. I am Joe Stapleton, and he is my work wife. He's James Hardigan. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all. Ho, ho, ho. A little early, but uh, we got to get it in. It's our last opportunity on this particular platform, on this particular show, as this is the last episode of 2023. That's right. Coming up on today's show, this is it. It's our season finale. Season 77 <laughs> of Poker in the Ears is coming to a close, along with the entirety of 2023. And the end of the year can only mean one thing, EPT Prague. Yes. This is the EPT Prague preview show, and we won't be getting the Prague recap until a little ways into 2024. And uh, we decided we'd have a little chat with a guy who popped up on our radar in Prague, and then he sort of popped off our radar in Prague, too. You remember Jasper Meyer Van Putten? Very well. He was the champion of Prague 2016. Yeah, and then more or less never to be seen or heard from again. Uh, so if you don't remember him, that's okay. He wasn't on our radar for very long, but we were looking at who'd won Prague and who we could talk to, and it turns out Jasper is out of poker. So I thought that was pretty interesting. We're going to have a chat with Jasper, see what he's been doing since then. Absolutely. And uh, we've actually got two guests to close out 2023. We've got mindset coach to the stars, Elliot Rowe, will be with us on the blower. And he'll be talking to us about his new book, A-Game Poker. And I guess three guests, if you include superfan Ed Nice. Nice. <laughs> That's nice. I like that. It's nice. And our quiz about champagne and bullets. I got a lot to say about this movie. More on that later. I cannot wait to talk about this movie, but I'll wait till Ed joins us. I'll wait till later in the show. Uh, all right, let me tell you about this charity event I went to. So you remember... Oh, is this the one where they called you up and asked if you could do, like, poker lessons as Well, they first of all were like, yeah, well, what are your credentials That's as right. a professional all, poker player? They and want I'm to like, study your hand and mob yeah, page. And they want to like, know your ranking. Please, no, don't do this. And so, yes, yeah, so they wanted to do, like, a hour-long poker lesson with me. Uh, as the prize, and I reminded them that hey, if this is a, if this is a big poker playing crowd, they might not give a fuck about getting a poker lesson from me. Uh, this might be a waste. So let me bring you a swag bag. So uh, this is for a charity organization called Share. They uh, actually help out a bunch of various organizations. Basically, a group of older ladies in Los Angeles who got a little bit of money. They come from okay. different. Basically, the woman who runs this event told me that she was born literally at Caesar's Palace. Her dad used to own Caesar's Palace. Her dad was Caesar? Her dad was Julius Caesar, <laughs> yes. Um, so here's the cool thing about this. I didn't have to MC the event. Nice. I didn't have to do poker lessons. You just had to show up and play. I just had to show up and play and bring this swag bag. So what I did was, I did, you notice, James, I collected a lot of swag through everything we did at F1. Yeah. And I piled it all into one of the really nice bags we got from the Oracle Red Bull, the ones that we had to pick up the Mirage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I took all the stuff. I took the hoodie out of it. I kept the hoodie for myself. And I put hats in there. I put card protectors. I put an all-in triangle in there. I put uh, the little charger they gave us. I, I put all the extra stuff that I could get into the bag. Um, so the good part was I just had to go play. Now, for a charity event, this structure was bananas. I mean, charity events tend to have 
banana structures. Yes. They tend to have like five minute blinds and everyone is all in after level one. So we started with 20 minute blinds. I'll say that. Okay. But that's something. The starting stack was 30 bigs. Yeah. I'd, that's not uncommon. I've played charity events with a 25 big blind starting stack. And then the, the blinds doubled. Oh, wow. So everyone was like short stacked after. It went from 100, 200 to 2-4. Wow. Okay. Um, so. so this structure was insane. However, this was the hardest I'd ever tried to win a charity tournament. Because you, know? you wanted your own swag because bag. Because I, well, I didn't want the swag bag. I wanted to not be embarrassed of nobody wanting the poker lesson from me. So I desperately wanted to win and choose my own prize. And how did that work out for you? Well, it didn't work out for two reasons. One is because I went broke. I went fairly deep, I would say. I made it to like the last two or three tables. I did not win the event. But two... My prize wasn't being given away as a final table prize or as a winner prize. They auctioned off me during the break. Oh, my God. And they were like, okay. Now, and I got bamboozled a little bit here. I got a bit of a snow job. It turned into an hour-long poker lesson from Stapes to Stapes is going to come to your poker night. Okay, I mean, that's a better sell than a poker lesson, but it kind of feels like you're being pimped out a little bit. A little bit, right? So now I'm desperately afraid that when they auction this item off, that no one is going to bid on it. So she starts the that's, bidding. That's arguably best case scenario. Worst case scenario is that some weirdo bids for it, and you've got to go to their home. Actually, that's a good point, too. So, okay, she starts the bidding at $500. How many bids do you think, or even what wh what price do you think this sold for? Did they have to bring the opening bid down? They did not have to bring the opening big bid down. So in that case, it went for what five fifty? It went for a bid. <laughs> One person bid five hundred dollars. Uh, a doctor uh, who. Uh, was very excited. Was the first, shot his hand up right away. Now there were no competing bids, but I was I was like, hey, okay, it's sold. And then I was like, holy fuck, what is this guy's home game going to be though? If he's bidding five hundred dollars <laughs> on me okay. to come, there is a worst case scenario, worse than the scenario I painted, and it's you've now got to play like one hundred, two hundred holders. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, this dude's. Um, home game was a $40 rebuy. Nice. So I'm in the clear there. I was not horribly embarrassed. Um, there was one fun game I wanted to play with you, though, James, is that as soon as I got there, turns out one of the main members of this thing is a Bond girl. No. Yeah, as soon as I got there, right off the gate, I was like, holy shit, that's... Do you want to take a guess? Do you want to take some guesses? So lives in Hollywood. Yes. American? No. Right. European, potentially. What era of movie are we talking about? I'll give you the Bond, because it doesn't narrow it down a ton. No. Roger Moore. Roger Moore. Okay. So I think you're going to get it pretty quick. Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour. Yeah. Jane nice. Seymour, as soon as I walked in the door. And um, I was a little starstruck. I was a little yeah, starstruck. I like I would be. I mean, she's not an intimidating person. She's like very friendly and, and nice from what I can tell. She's but, too small to be intimidating. But it's just like one of the most attractive actresses who ever 
was on camera. Like, yeah. bang, right there as soon as I walked in the door. Uh, I did not interact with Jane Seymour at all. But I was like, cool. At least we have a James Bond connection for this thing as well. Fantastic. Um, couple of comments from Discord. Uh, we do have the podcast discussion channel on the Pokestars Discord server. We link to that server in the podcast description. Um, Stefan, thank you for your comments. Stefan writes, just listen to the podcast. Love the interview with Alex, referring to Alex O'Brien, who was the guest on last week's show. Oh, right, sure. <laughs> uh, made me get the audiobook, and we'll listen to that now. I'm really curious how much effort Stapes puts into compiling the quizzes because it feels like he really goes at it. You know, I have to say I really laughed at all those names. Thank you, Stefan. That really makes it worth it. I put quite a bit of work into the quizzes when I do them. And there's like a few articles out there like that game in particular, the nominative determinism thing. If you like Google that, there's like a couple of like, you know, comedy website articles that have them all listed there. And I kind of feel like it's cheating just to take them from that. So I do like, I'll go to that and get a few names and then do like additional research myself. So I really do put a lot of work into it. And yes, the making up of the names is, is fucking, I'm sorry. It makes me laugh. So I'm glad it makes you laugh, Stefan. Um, sadly, KPTRPT kaput, kaput, accuses you of intentionally <laughs> Getting last week's superfan quiz tiebreaker wrong. The question about the number of hotel rooms at the Bellagio. Um, he writes, I can see throwing the superfan game for a teacher, first responder, etc. But for a clearly rich dude, there's more rooms in a Motel 6 than the guess you made. SMH. Lol. I resent this accusation so much. Here's why. First of all, Fuck off. <laughs> Second of all, that guess was so bad, and I'm so embarrassed by it, that to now be accused of cheating on top of it is like insult to injury. As soon as I said it, I was like, oh shit, I forgot about the other tower. Now... <laughs> You weren't just like 50 or 100 rooms out. You were thousands I was of orders out. of magnitude <laughs> off. Yes. But... Believe me, if I was throwing the game, it would have been a better guess than that. I would have just lost earlier on. I wouldn't have let it get down to the tiebreaker. Yes, as soon as I said it, I was like, "I." what's really funny is that, what did I say, 275 or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as I said it, I went, ah, I bet it's more like 350. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was more than 3,000. By the way, don't, don't, don't assume someone's personal circumstances and I think William has actually responded here and said look I'm comfortable but I'm not a rich dude by any okay, stretch of imagination yeah that's I mean and also who the hell are you who cares like come on get the fuck out of here well, um, it's not your money the only thing I've watched of note uh, in recent days is I finished season 7 of Selling Sunset and look there were a couple of moments where maybe she was a little bit underhand. Well, oh, season things. eight just got released. Like, what, it comes out so fast. Some of the things that Chrishell said to Nicole were not a-okay, but I am still very much Team Chrishell. And I'm sorry, Amanda, but I am with Chrishell 100%, despite everything that happened. And Brie can fuck off. Is is the real tall, hot one, the villain, still in the show, or did they get rid of her? Are you talking about Christine? Yeah, Christine. No, Christine's been gone for a number of seasons. Nicole is the new villain. And Christine doesn't have her own spinoff? Nope. What the hell's going on with that? They've got enough bloody spinoffs without giving Christine her own show. You've got Selling the OC. They've opened an office in Carbo, so Selling Carbo is likely to become a thing soon. What the hell is Carbo? 
It's a place in Mexico. Oh, Cabo. Yes. I what you said Carbo. Carbo. Like carbohydrates. No, C-A-B-O, Carbo. Cabo. Carbo. Cabo. Okay, fine. Yes, Cabo. San Lucas. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, I'll, I'll just say I watched one thing that was really fun other than Champagne and Bullets. Uh, Holiday Switch on Netflix, which combines two of my favorite genre, genres, Christmas movies and body switching movies. I love body switching movies. <laughs> I don't care. I think they're hilarious. I, I, it's a, it is a genre I will never get tired of. Every couple of years, like clockwork, you can count on a new body switching movie. And this one was no exception. I will say this movie was like a C minus, like a C, C minus, w- watchable, fun with a group of people who are drinking whatever, you know what, trying to watch a holiday movie. I will say that we gambled on what the budget of this movie was because there was a pop song like in every scene. And I was like, this movie. And they shot at the Griffith Park Observatory. Right. I mean, this was shot in Los Angeles, not like not like the Georgia tax credit or fucking Romania like everyone shoots now. I was like, this movie must have been cost a fortune. And I guess it was probably between uh, 10 and $25 million. 50. $50 million for Ed Helms and Jennifer Garner to do a body-switching movie. Here's the most disturbing thing about this, too. So the parents switch with the kids. Gender stay the same, right? Dad switches with son. Mom switches with daughter. But the baby switches with the dog. (laughs) And it's fucking disturbing because no one is at all concerned about getting the baby... And the dog, like, back on the same page. And the baby is trapped in an animal's body yes. with no comprehension of what's going on. Correct. Isn't that, like, Black Mirror shit? Yes, that's not yes. funny at all. That's no, not a no comedy. One, that's no horror. One, yes, no one is at all concerned. It's very bizarre. Oh, my God. Uh, now, we have established this is our Prague preview show, but before we get into EPT Prague 2023, we are going to flash back. We are going to turn back the clock to 2016. December that year was the conclusion of a very brief season 13 of the European Poker Tour. And in Prague, we had a pretty impressive final table. David Peters, Marius Gierser. Yes! They both made the final table. But it was Martin Tussor and Jasper Meyer Van Putten who got heads up for the title. And after agreeing a deal, Jasper was the eventual winner. He lifted the trophy. He earned 699,000 euros. Damn. And now... Seven years on, we are catching up with the EPT Prague 2016 champion. Jasper, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's been a long time. It has been a long time. Um, Do you miss poker? Uh, A lot. So I play uh, recreationally once or twice a month. But that's about it, I guess. Did you think that you were maybe going to be the last EPT champion ever. It kind of felt like that at the time. Did, of you, did you have that feeling? Uh, at the time, I felt that the brand was so strong that uh, even though it was announced as the last EPT ever, that somehow it would uh, rise uh, from the ashes again. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> and fast forward 12 months, that's exactly what happened. Well, too bad Jasper yeah. wasn't in charge. Maybe we wouldn't have uh, had to go through that whole Panama thing. Yep. I mean... As we've said, it was some time ago, and so much has happened since then. What are your memories of that festival? What are your memories of that event back in 2016? Uh, well, everything uh, 
was a little vague up till the final table since right. uh, I think, uh, as you guys can remember, I suffered from uh, food poisoning uh, starting from day one. Uh, at day one, I doubled up. I went straight to bed. Uh, I didn't continue playing after level two, I think. Um, well, well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. So yeah. uh, I, I, I'm following what you said here. You doubled up. You went straight to bed. You were like, my chips are going to be fine until tomorrow. When you doubled up, did you double up like by accident or normally? Or were you trying to either double up or go broke? Uh, no, it wasn't. It was normally. Okay. Didn't do you remember? So it, it, it wasn't really a, a one big hand. There were okay. Three, four key hands. And, and then I had like 50-ish K at the time. Uh, and then I had to go to bed because I felt really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I threw up outside where everyone was smoking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, w and when I woke up the next day, I saw they had uh, 20 bigs. And then, uh, well, I took my chances and it went, went to my chair. And, well, it got me from there till day five, I guess. Yeah. As you said, the final table. And we just referenced the fact that there were some pretty talented players at that final table, like pretty big name players like David Peters uh, and Marius Gierser. Coming into that final table, how were you feeling? What were your expectations? Uh, no expectations whatsoever. So I was already uh, super happy that I got to the final table uh, at that point. Um, so everything from the main cash was kind of a bonus since I already uh, wrote the, the money off, let's say. Um, and then after I won with Queens, Queens against Ace X suited from the uh, Russian guy. Then I thought, well, uh, maybe uh, anything can happen now. And I, I think we were four-handed at that time, maybe three-handed. And well, every, everything got well, turned my way, and I was super lucky. So, in the end, uh, super happy. So, we had heard of a bunch of your opponents at that final table before. Hadn't uh -huh. heard much of you before. How did you rate yourself compared to those players at the time? Did you um, think you were as good as those players? Have you put in the work that the other players had? Uh, I put in a lot of work, actually. Uh, but I put a lot of work in cash games. So, uh, I... I came from a cash game uh, background, and I always went to uh, a lot of stops just to just to play live cash. Okay. And I never uh, got in the mix in the in the big tournaments. Um, but then I became friends with a a bunch of Dutch NTT players, uh, which uh, eventually caught my interest in uh, playing live tournaments as well, especially after a result like this. So how many EPT main events had you played before coming to Prague that winter? Three or four, maybe? Right, well, that's, that's, that's not bad. Number four I, to you hit I the got, jackpot. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I think I made something around 50-ish plays in EPT Barcelona um, that year as well. Uh, I tried to swap with the Dutch guy who uh, respectfully declined uh, at the time, and he got, I think, fifth or fourth. Right. Uh, and a lot of people made a, a lot of fun of, uh, of me since, uh, well, the, the swap didn't succeed. And then, uh, well, four months later, I got some sort of uh, 
refresh on that. Yeah, right? Now you got to wait for him to try to swap with you so you uh. can shut him down. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about your poker career leading up to EPT Prague. You said you're mostly a cash game player, and yep. I noticed... Uh, you're hand in mob. You're you start with some small events in 2014. I'm talking like 200 euro events. Can you yep. take us through what your start in poker was and how what eventually led you to playing 5Ks? Um, I started with cash online, um, and then also at the same time, I really liked the live aspect, so uh, I played also cash games uh, in the local casinos in in the Netherlands. And then uh, somehow uh, the tournaments got way more popular than, than the cash games. So uh, I was kind of forced to also join the tournaments since, uh, well, all the dead money was out there and not at the cash tables anymore. Right. Um, my first memory of playing tournaments in, in Holland was that I think out of the first 10 tournaments, I literally bubbled four times. Ooh. So obviously I was kind of unlucky, but at the same time I made huge errors uh, on the bubble, on the exact bubble, um, and then yeah, gradually uh, went from playing 200 euro events to well, slightly bigger events. So did you forget on the bubble that you couldn't just reload like in a cash game? Is that what happened? <laughs> I think I was uh, too eager for first prize already at that time. Okay, the, the the initials ICM weren't necessarily registering in your consciousness at that point. Uh, no, I, I was way more interested in becoming first uh, uh, than min caching. That, that, that's real, like 2005 era poker. You play for the win, that's you right. play for the glory. I'm not playing a min cash. Yeah, and uh, that sounded cooler than, uh, than, I, than hey, I tried. To, I, I, to this day, I wish more people had that mindset because it would make <laughs> okay. final tables a lot more interesting. I do yeah, remember. I guess it's, uh, it's more enjoyable to watch. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember this being a, a pretty interesting final table. And of course, from our perspective, we thought this might be the last EPT main event that we cover. Um, uh -huh. Of course, it was it was Martin Tussaud who was the, the runner-up. You guys did the deal before you played out heads up for the remaining prize money and for yep. the trophy. Now, I don't know whether you know, Jasper, but fast forward a few years and Martin finds himself heads up in another EPT and finds himself with another second-place finish. So he is a two-time EPT runner-up. Runner-up, yeah. yeah. Now, obviously, two great scores, but I, I'm uh -huh. sure you can also sympathize with him coming close twice and not being able to close it out twice. Yeah, most definitely. I think I spoke uh, with him after uh, the second time. I think it was in Barcelona a couple yes. of years later, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you are still in touch with players because I'm interested. You say that you play recreationally now. How close are you to what's going on on the professional circuit? When was the last time you played a, a big event uh, like an EPT or equivalent? I think it was uh, EPT Prague, uh, which was pos postponed to the one in, in March. Okay, so not that long because ago. Of COVID. No, uh, so, but I really went there as a, as a recreational player. Um and i'm still yearning for coming back <laughs> um, but but my current endeavors uh, don't let me go there so uh, th th that's a bit of a pity but i, I i'm following uh, a, a big chunk of news i've still uh, I've, I've got a, a bunch of friends who are still very uh, much in poker like uh, jans arens uh, so graf uh, oh, I, I try to be up to date so you're still in the WhatsApp group talking shit about people is basically what you're saying. 
Uh, yes, <laughs> most definitely. And uh, try not to talk about poker whatsoever, but more about the the, the flip side of things. Uh, I think one of the uh, this uh, funny actually. Uh, yesterday we were talking about playing blackjack with Ronaldinho uh, somewhere in uh, Las Vegas three or four years ago. That was uh, yeah. Maybe one of the highlights of my poker career. I mean, if you have more to tell us about that story, I'm very <laughs> willing to hear it. Uh, uh, it was kind of cool. Uh, uh, we got there for the uh, for the main event, obviously. For uh, tax purposes, we only play uh, the main event and don't play any other uh, WSOP side events. Uh, I think we got into Vegas a week beforehand, uh, and we went straight to uh, XS in, in the wind. <laughs> And uh, when we got out at four in the morning, uh, we were uh, kind of sedated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but one of our friends uh, he suggested, well, uh, he's kind of kind of the DJ of the of the group. Uh, he was like, oh well, uh, let's play blackjack before we go to bed. Uh, and I think we we were already uh, broke on cash at that point since uh, access is extremely expensive these days. Yeah. Um, and we played a bunch of uh, blackjack hands and we were like, okay, well, let's go to bed now. Uh, just uh, get off our uh, uh, hangover as soon as possible. And then Jan suggested, or maybe we can, we can play blackjack with Ronaldinho at the other table. And we we're like, uh, what are you talking about? And then we looked uh, to the table next to us, and there he, there he was sitting, the man, uh, the legend himself, playing uh, um, blackjack at four or five in the morning. And uh, he, he was betting kind of low stakes, and uh, I think he, he wasn't really having a good time. He was all by himself. Um, and we joined him, and we tried to uh, communicate with him, and then, well, he, he turned us down by saying he... he he didn't speak English. Um, and then he said, well, I only speak French, which was kind of weird, but he played at uh, Paris Saint-Germain for a couple of years, I think. Um, and um, we played a bunch of hands and we got lucky several times. And, well, he got a bit in the mood. And then the, uh, <laughs> and then the club uh, was closed and all the European people, uh, well, went from access back to, uh, to Encore. And then it got super busy, and uh, uh, the manager sent everyone away. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. You got Ronaldinho to open up to you a little bit. I mean, winning money can really make people become fast friends is one thing yeah. that I've learned. So when you got to Vegas, this was after um, your win. So what kind of bankroll were you working with? I guess basically take me from your win in Prague to uh -huh. you mentioned new endeavors like take me what led you from Prague to uh, basically more or less becoming a recreational player uh i i continued to play for uh, uh, a couple more years i went to a lot of stops which i uh, didn't foresee me doing before Prague like going to the Bahamas in, in January straight after um i think i had some uh, decent results all in Prague over, uh, I think, over a three or four year run. Uh, and then I did, decided for myself that the casino world was not, or the poker world was not a world I would be in for the rest of my life. Fair enough. Uh, I, I I moved in uh, together with my with my girlfriend. And it was in the beginning uh, going away for three weeks or uh, playing online and shutting down a computer at uh, seven in the morning. And then she would go to work. So that was not really uh, a sustainable start for uh, 
living together. So what is it that you are doing now? What is it that prevents you from going back to Prague in 2023? Yeah, at, at first I uh, uh, I got a, a small office with a bunch of poker friends where we uh, were very uh, dedicated to the crypto uh, stuff, which was... Uh, well, both successful and unsuccessful. So uh, not at, not an organized same, business, but you just got together with friends and just basically became like day traders kind of thing. Yeah, we we spin we we spin the wheel a couple of times, <laughs> and uh, sometimes we roll the six, and more often we roll the one. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then um, uh, the market crashed. I think it was somewhere 2007. You got a lot of NFTs left over. I got some Street Fighter NFTs. Oh, it, it, I got this some. Was way, it was way before the oh, NFT. Oh, before that. Okay. I, yeah, it was all about the uh, the altcoins. Got it. Um, shit coins, they call them, James. Yeah, definitely shit coins. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then after um, uh, I started my own business, uh, a friend of mine, uh, he came to my house and he told me uh, he, he was engaged or he got, engage, got engaged and he, uh, he was kind of bragging about where he, uh, he found a, a very nice engagement ring. And uh, when he left my place, I opened uh, Instagram and I saw all ads on engagement rings uh, in my screen while my uh, girlfriend was sitting next to me at the time and was looking at my phone at the same time. Oh, awkward. Which was like a very awkward moment indeed. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but also um, not uncommon. Most people have experienced this, right? Where you've had a conversation about something. I think everyone who listens recognizes this, right? Absolutely. the, the phone is picking something up. Where Absolutely. Is, yeah. And it sounds uh, paranoid, but it can't be coincidence. It's happened to almost everyone. Well, my guess is yeah. that Jasper's probably an expert on this now, but what I heard is that your phone isn't necessarily listening, but it knows that your buddy bought a ring because of his phone, and his phone is near your phone, and it knows that you just moved in with your girlfriend because of your phones, and then Definitely. it shows you engagement rings. Is that kind of how it yes. works? Uh, yes, indeed. But, but at the same time, there are also... A lot of uh, conversational uh, uh, stuff going on where, where people say that they have been only talking about a certain uh, subject, which doesn't necessarily have to uh, be on the location that you have been with your phone. Uh, and then it's st- still turned out on your uh, on your ads. So that is... Yeah. And I think if you dig into the T's and C's of most OS on smart TVs and on smart yeah. speakers uh-huh. and on phones... Yeah. You basically agree that anyone can listen to anything you're saying at any time. That mic- microphone is permanently on. And most definitely. And at the same time, uh, those companies will make it as hard as possible to uh, make the T- uh, TNCs, well, readable. Right. <laughs> for obvious purposes. So, uh, yeah. Uh, that, that, that got me into... Uh, 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 my mission where I would like to have a transparent data sharing uh, on the internet instead of having it uh, run all by big tech. Um, so what we're basically doing is we, we have built a platform where anyone can uh, uh, create an account as an end user. And our mission is to uh, connect as many organizations as possible so that all end users uh, can log in through a safe account instead of a compromised account as a, as a Google or an, uh, a Facebook account would be. So what does that mean that you assert you've got a uh, a platform in which people basically are just like in control of their own data? It's like data management for an individual? Yep, definitely. And uh, we don't encourage people to share data. It's uh, all up to themselves. And uh, well, if the offer from the organization is uh, uh, 
good enough for the end user to make a connection or to share data with them, well, feel free to do so. Uh, we don't have a, a verdict on that. So uh, what a uh, concrete would mean is that, for instance, there's a, a wine company uh, on the internet who would love to, uh, more, loves to know more about you as a wine drinker, especially uh, are you more of a, uh, uh, a red wine enthusiast or are you more fond on uh, white wine? And in, uh, in return for giving them a, a discount on a specific uh, uh, wine, uh, the end user can let them know I'm uh, more interested in white wine over red wine. So you can still have relevant ads uh, and have ultimately a better uh, relationship with the end user. Instead of going to Google or Facebook and say, hey, my target audience is red wine, please uh, um, show everyone who loves red wine my red wine products. In the end, I still don't know exactly my end user base. Okay, so I can see why companies would come to you to get the data that they want. Why would the people opt into giving that data? Are they getting bargains? Are they getting what? How does it work? Uh, yeah, that can be all kinds of things. So uh, the incentive can be uh, a discount. It can be an experience. Uh, it can be uh, all kinds of sorts. Excellent. And let me ask you this. Are you rich from this yet or what? Uh, not yet. We are uh, we are kind of in between from startup to scale up phase, uh, so we, we've connected uh, twenty organizations and we have thousands of users uh, in the Netherlands by themselves. Uh, but uh, the name of the company is Globe Protocol, and we're really focused on uh, well making this really big and try to make this uh, uh, past the boundaries of the of the Netherlands and go in Europe and uh, the US as, US at the same time. And what kind of hours are you putting on in this now? I remember, you know, trying to even get this call scheduled. You seem like a pretty busy guy. Uh-huh. Um, I think basically the same hours as in poker. So like 80 hours a week? <laughs> uh, give, give or take. And this is something, are you, look, I, I'm happy for you, right? I typically think that when people leave poker, it's generally because, especially someone in your position who kind of went out on top, uh, it's mm -hmm. because they found something that they're passionate about yes. and that they want to do. So um, I'm, uh, I hope that that's true. Are you excited about this? <laughs> I'm, I'm super excited about this. And I really, uh, 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 what contradicts with having a, a startup is that you sh really share success with, uh, the people you work on a daily basis with. I mean, we we, we celebrate uh, celebrate highlights together. We grind together. Uh, that's what you really like. As in, uh, instead of working as an individual, uh, and at the same time, I was uh, uh, raised by uh, parents who had a really focus on social impact. Uh, so you can imagine how uh, uh, birthdays uh, were during the time I was uh, only playing poker. And basically, uh, was focused on making a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and I think their nurture got me also having a, a broader perspective, broader perspective of the world in trying to make social impact. Well, look, best of luck with this business endeavor, Jasper. And I know you're working really hard at the moment and putting in a lot of hours. But mm -hmm. fast forward twelve months from now, if the business does take off, and if you find you're able to take some time away. Maybe uh -huh. we'll see you back at EPT Prague 2024. Uh, most definitely. Most definitely. Thanks, Jasper. Good luck, buddy.
Okay, back to the present day. EPT Prague 2023, at the point of recording, I believe it's day one, Joe, uh, which obviously is the Eureka element of the festival. We're going to get into town this weekend. We'll be there as the EPT main event gets underway. But there is a lot going on <laughs> in the poker world right now. I can understand if people aren't really thinking about EPT Prague with everything that's happening on the other side of the Atlantic. Yeah, I mean, we've got uh, Paradise going on for World Series of Poker, obviously, yes. in the Bahamas. And we've got the win in Las Vegas. Now, I didn't think Paradise would make too much of a dent in our attendance. But the win having a $40 million guarantee yeah. is uh, is something that... Like, I don't even really like playing poker that much, but I'd be tempted. I think it's fair to say that we saw a little bit of an impact of the WPT event last year. Yeah. I think now that word has got out about how good that event was, yeah. and with the guarantee being doubled year on year, I think it will stop a lot of people traveling from North America to Prague. I still think that we'll get a decent field yeah. in Prague. And looking at the qualifier numbers, I think the main event will be big, as it always okay, is. Okay, good. But... Yeah, I, I think the competition, if we're going to call it that, is probably more between what's happening in the Bahamas and what's happening in Vegas. And Prague is just doing its own thing. Yes. But I think it's going to be very hard for Prague to completely escape the shadow of there being two other big events on at the same time. I mean, look, I uh, I don't even think Clayton understood that I was sniping at him, but Clayton Fletcher uh, put out a poll. He's like, where will you be this December? And it was like... Vegas for WPT or Bahamas for the, and then they were your mom's house for third choice. And I'm like, hello, we were there first. Although I have it on good authority that people, top men at the various organizations are trying to work this out so that maybe we're not getting in each other's way so much. I don't know if there, anything will come from it, but I know the conversations are happening. I really hope so because I think choice is good, but what's better than that is a schedule that works for allowing people to play all of the major events they want to play. I don't think that there are enough World Series events or WPT events or EPT events in a year for them to need to clash and collide with each other. And, and to turn this back to Prague, I would really like for something to get worked, about, uh, worked out about this time in December because let's just say some event died on our tour. I would be the saddest if it was Prague. Prague is by far my favorite stop of the year. It signifies the end of the year. It's beautiful. It's fun. People always want to ask me what my favorite stop is. It is 100% Prague. And other stops I could take a break from, right? We've been to Barcelona 14, 15 years in a row. If somehow we you know, skipped a year of Barcelona, it wouldn't bug me as much as, as skipping a year of Prague. I understand that. The thing that doesn't track, though, is you are a resident of Southern California, and most Angelinos cannot cope with cold weather. And Prague, <laughs> at this time of year, is not warm. Look, I deal with cold weather for about three weeks every year. I can handle it. And the charm of Prague compensates for how cold it is there. We will make an effort to make sure that we get outside the Hilton Prague and see we the Christmas to. market. We really have to. And see some of the bars and restaurants uh, in the old town. We do have a pretty busy few days. We arrive this weekend, as I mentioned, and our first day of live streaming will be Tuesday, the 12th of December, next Tuesday. And this is going to be a first for the EPT, a first for us, as far as the EPT is concerned, we're going to be streaming a mystery bounty. 
So has that all been worked out yet, how that's going to work? Obviously, we've seen how the other tours do it, where they've got someone permanently on the bounty desk that they cut to. How are we doing it? We're not going to have anyone on the floor, but we are going to see the bounties being drawn. Now, to highlight, this is a 10K buy-in mystery bounty. We are going to come back on day two where they are already in the money and the bounties are in play. Right. I don't think that will be more than a couple of tables. It's probably going to be between 14 and 16 players. So we are hoping that every time there is an elimination, every time someone knocks someone out, that that person is going to come over to the desk and draw an envelope. But of course, there's nothing to make them do that. They might want to save up those bounties and might want to draw their envelopes later on. But we will not let an envelope be drawn. We will not let a bounty be revealed unless we have a camera on it and we are putting that live to the stream. Got it. So um, what, will someone just come over and stake their claim on, a, on an envelope and then we'll... Whoever is manning that desk from the yeah. tournament side knows not to re not to release the envelope, not to allow a bounty puck to be exchanged for an envelope until the camera's in position, until they have the all clear from our team that we are live on air. I'm excited. I'm excited and to do something new. To be honest, I'm not going to say we'll see every single elimination from the outer table. Right. Maybe we have to cut away from a hand in mid-progress to see that bounty, but I think that's more important that we see the bounties, we see the reveal, and we see what prize has been drawn. And of course, it's a lot easier once we're down to one table, once we're down to a final table of nine, where again, I'm hoping every time there is a knockout, that person will immediately draw the bounty, will immediately draw the envelope, and we'll see it on the stream. Copy that. Cool. So yeah, it is going to be a first for us to showcase a mystery bounty. It's a very popular format to play. And yeah, there's a lot of excitement and a lot of suspense when the bounties are drawn, and hopefully that will come across. Uh, so that's going to be our first stream on Tuesday, live at 1pm Central European time. And then Five more days after that, Wednesday through Sunday, our normal main event coverage from day two through to the final table on Sunday. So world-famous bubble coverage on that first day, day two of the main events, following it through as they whittle down, play down to the final few tables, down to the final table, concluding with the final table on Sunday. You might remember last year was a little bit weird, right? Because we were playing long days World at Cup. the start. Yeah, exactly. We had to try and work around the World Cup final. So it meant we had a really short final table because uh, we'd played half of it the day before. This is back to normal. So five levels a day, uh, maybe a little bit longer the last two days to get down to 16 or get down to six and then get down to a winner. But... Crucially, you're going to see every single step of the way from the main event from day two onwards. All right. I'm into Wait, so when we're doing all this, is there online poker to be played there at is. the same time? I think people have come to expect a mini EPT now. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it would be great to see as many people as possible play those tournaments. There has been a lot of added value in recent events, and I mean double the added value, because not only... Uh, do we have the tickets that we add to the prize pool? But also, some of those events haven't necessarily been drawing massive fields, and they all have guarantees oh, on wow. them. Oh, wow. Okay. So there has been a bit of overlay cool. in some cases as well. So the mini EPT is really offering a lot of incentives Are right we going to take people's lunches and progs out of the overlay for the no. mini EPT? We're not going to do that? We don't do okay. that. Okay. We don't do Just that. Just checking. Uh, what we are adding is New Year Series tickets to the prize pool of every mini EPT tournament. And when it comes to the main events on the final day, so on the Sunday, we have two mini main events. One is priced at $5.50, which I think most people should be able to afford. The other is 55 which I appreciate is a much higher buy-in. But crucially, there is a gold power pass added to the prize pool. Ooh. That gold power <laughs> pass will go to the winner 
of both of the mini main events and there are silver power passes for the runners-up. And worth highlighting that a gold power pass can be redeemed for an EPT package. So if you want to join us at the first stop of EPT 2024, if you want to go to Paris in February, you can use a gold power pass to make that dream come true. I mean, all you got to do is look at the people who use the gold power passes for that Vegas trip for a little bit of an inkling as to what a gold power pass can do for you. Yes, indeed. Uh, so Griffin is coming to Prague. Nick is coming to Prague. Griffin Benjamin, Nick Walsh will be part of the commentary team. Depending on her availability, uh, Maria Ho might be able to join us live via satellite. But spoiler alert, Maria is not making the trip to Prague. Um, Interesting to see whether Maria shows up in Paris because I alluded to that being the first stop of EPT 2024. The full schedule for next year has now been revealed. Full details on the PokerStars Live app. And it is rinse and repeat. We had two new stops in 2023. They're both back on the tour in 2024. So it is going to be the same as this year. We're going to start in Paris. We're going to move on to Monte Carlo in the spring, Barcelona in the summer, Cyprus in the autumn, seeing out the year in Prague. I think this year has been pretty successful. Um, we'll repeat the same tour in 2024. I would imagine and I would hope that there might be a tweak or a change or a new stop when it comes to EPT 2025. Ooh. He oh, see, he knows way more than he lets on. And he knows way more than I know. Hand on heart, I don't. This is me speaking personally. Oh, you're just like, I, okay. I'm saying that I think it's fine to replicate yeah. a very successful season year on year. Right. But I do think that when it comes to the third year, it would be nice to make at least one or two tweaks, one or two changes, just to give it something fresh. Because people do like new. If Paris and, and Cyprus prove that this year, then I think we definitely need to do that in the next couple of but years. But you're not suggesting that we end the EPT after no. Prague and create a new tour. No, I'm definitely not <laughs> suggesting that. Been there, seen it, done it. Not going to happen again. But yeah, just to highlight, guys, uh, Tuesday the 12th through to Sunday 17th of December, live every day at... Well, normally it's 12.30 in the afternoon, Central European time, but the first stream, which is day two of the Mystery Bounty, and the last stream, which is the final table of the 5K main event, that will be 1 p.m. local time, every other day, 12.30. Pokestars, Twitch, and YouTube channels. Look forward to your company over those six days of streams. And yes, again, EPT 2024, full schedule, is in the Pokestars Live app. Well, moving on from the EPT, it's time to introduce our second guest of the week. Yes, two interviews in one episode. We are spoiling you. Uh, and two books in as many weeks, Joe. Oof, I'm fine with two guests, <laughs> but I already read almost a whole book last week. I don't know <laughs> if I'm ready for another book. We are pleased to welcome back to Poker in the Ears, the mental mentor to Poker's Elite, mindset coach Elliot Rowe, to talk about A-game poker. Hello, Elliot. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It it is about what it sounds like, right? A game of poker, not a yeah, game yeah, of we, poker. Yeah, we try to make the title as self-explanatory as possible. Okay, so who is this book for? Is it for people who are already at like a B-plus game? Or is it for people like me who are pretty bad? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I think it's really for anyone who's looking to take poker seriously. 
Um, so, or, or at least understand what the the players who are at the top of the game, what they're doing differently. So, you know, whether or not you're going to be a professional, I think it's useful to know the systems, the strategies that those who are having the most success in the game, what they're following. And even if you choose to implement all of it, which most people won't, um, or just some of it, it should have some value for, for basically any poker player out there looking for an understanding of how to find an extra edge in the mental game um, rather than just the technical study. Okay, so that was going to be my next question. You mentioned the word strategy there, but we're talking about mental strategy. Is there a lot of actual poker strategy in this book? Zero. Okay. So there's zero poker strategy. Um, all of this is about execution and performance. So it's understanding the preparation that goes into performing at your best. Um, it's understanding the subconscious programs that might be holding you back, that might be causing you to tilt, that might be causing procrastination, might be causing focus issues. And strategies and sort of ideas as how to work around these so that you can turn up playing your A game more frequently, which is obviously much more profitable for any poker player if they if they can show up playing their best poker rather than show up playing their C game and, and, and damage their win rate. So is this putting into writing, Elliot, many of the techniques and processes that you follow in person with many of your poker clientele? Yeah, so I've been in the poker world now since goodness, um, 2011, I think. Um, I've worked with thousands of poker players and I've done over 10,000 mindset sessions with poker players and and been fortunate enough to work with some of the top names in the game. Um, And, you know, during that time, obviously, I've I've created the strategies that I'm, I'm helping them with. And I've also seen what works and what doesn't work for those trying to reach the top of the game. And this is sort of the the culmination, I always say that word wrong, um, of all of that work. Um, I, I really wanted to have something out there in the poker market that explained my thesis and sort of gave a backdrop to the work that I'm doing with clients. And, and this was my way of getting all of that information out there in a way that's digestible and affordable for everybody. Um, and it shares a lot of the stories of of some of the top players in the game of the ment mindset issues that they had and then you know the the work that we did and how that impacted them and um you know i think some of those stories are going to resonate even with non-professionals because the stresses that people feel at the poker table you know yeah. they're the same whether you're playing for a million dollars or you know a thousand dollars if the thousand dollars is just as important to you as the million dollars is to the to the professional so I have a lot of questions about how this book was actually written and produced, obviously, and we'll get into it. We'll, we'll, we'll start. It's going to be a multi-part question here, Elliot, so bear with me. <laughs> okay. One is, can you go over some of the people with whom you are sharing, from whom you're sharing their stories in this book? And two, how does that work? Like, if you were a doctor or a lawyer, you couldn't necessarily be sharing the stories of the people uh, that you work with. So in this case, what do you do? Do you ask them ahead of time? You say, hey, I'm writing a book, and can I share this? How does all that work? So so a lot of the cases, these these were stories that um, these clients had already shared publicly in in some of the cases. Um, But in all of the cases, these were interviews that were done specifically by the players for the book. Right. Um, and then they signed off that they were happy with the stories and they were happy for it to be released. So obviously, yes, if I was if I was a doctor or a lawyer, you know, I wouldn't be sharing any client information. And um, you know, I don't share any client information unless it's expressly they've given consent to do so. So all of these we did we did interviews for the book 
and they were aware of you know the what they were doing what they were signing up for and they were kind enough to share their stories because they felt that they would be positive for the poker community to understand the issues that players go through and, and the resolutions that we found um so some of the players in the book we've got Fedor Holtz Phil Galfond Alex Foxton Barry Sweet Brian Rast um Ape Styles John Van Fleet um we've got I should I should probably have a list. Um, apologies, anyone there who I've um, I forgot. Well, I don't expect you to give away every oh, single Chris, thing Chris that's Chrissy, in the book anyway. Preston um, Matt Burke is in there, but there, there's tons of stories. Uh, ben CB is another one. Um, tons of stories of yeah the the issues that they've overcome through their professional career and the work that we did um, and the impact that it had and and how we helped them to overcome those issues. And I thought that was sort of a unique take for this book is you know giving the framework used by you know some of the world's most successful poker players jason coons in there as well obviously extraordinarily successful mm -hmm. um and how they they work through those issues and the impact it's had it doesn't surprise me by the way that you're able to list off all of those names now we last spoke to you on this podcast elliot three and a half years ago it was just before oh the goodness. world went into lockdown yeah and in the time that's followed Obviously, we've spoken to many, many poker players, and a consistent thread that comes up is, yeah, I was struggling, and then I worked with Elliot Rowe for a while. Your name gets dropped yeah. on this podcast so often. I, I should, if you guys could make me like a clip, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would love that. So, you know, some homework for you guys. Yeah, if, if we can do like a, a sizzle reel for me, that, that would be. <laughs> I mean, who was it recently? It was Daniel Devoris recently we had on the show yes. who said that he had been working with you because we asked Daniel about what he does to sort of what his like morning routine is. And I think he had mentioned you when it came to that. Is that something that uh, you work not just with Daniel, but in general with people about? Is it, is it, is it daily routine stuff? I guess the question really is how much of it is bespoke and how much of it is a tried and tested format? So, so the tried and tested format is what the book is. Right. So that's all of those things like these types of pregame routines, morning routines, um, how to improve your focus for the sessions themselves, getting an understanding of the inner work. Um, the majority of the actual deeper session work I do is more about understanding where the issues came from and then working through and resolving those. So an example I'd like to give around this is if you have a live poker player who's really struggling when they get three back consistently by the same opponent. So for some players, they get very anxious or they get very angry when someone. Yeah, that's bullshit. That guy should stop fucking attacking me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Why does that guy so, hate me? Does I, he think I'm a bitch? I know I know we can't turn back the clock, but Joe, I really think you should have had a session with Elliot before you played the World Series of Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would, have, would have changed your life, Joe. Probably. Um, and, and really, digging into that issue, nearly always the root cause of that is school bullying. So as so as we do the the sort of the hypnotherapy type sessions I I do, it brings up memories from the past, the root causes, that brings up school bullying issues. We work through those bullying issues. And then when the player gets three bed again at the table, instead of taking it as a personal insult, they see it as just data to adjust to. And we're looking for those sorts of issues in their past. So my one-to-one -one sessions, the majority of it is bespoke work like that. Yeah. But then there are fundamental frameworks of, you know, there's an amount of study a professional needs to be doing. There's a, a way they need to live their life. Like, it's not by fluke that the majority of high roller players are in exceptionally good shape. You know, they're, they're not 
you know, it's improving their performance because they're looking after themselves and their bodies. They're getting good sleep. Um, they're training, they're eating well, they're treating this like a professional sport now. And the edge that you get isn't massive from doing that, but there is an edge. Um, and it's all of these small edges added together that can improve a player's profitability and performance. And when you reach the very peak of the game, all of these things really matter. God, I wish there was just one thing in life that they'd be like, you don't just stay up late and drink and like eat junk food and it'll really improve it just sucks that everything comes down to the same that, shit. That works for comedians, Joe. <laughs> maybe. It may be being miserable it's and like, fat is good for comedy. You're right. Yeah. You know, it fits. It works. So, you know. So in these one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions, it sounds like they could get quite emotional sometimes. Do you have to deal with pe people breaking down, people... Um, yeah, that, that's uh, standard. Um, it's, it's relatively normal if I'm if I'm working with someone from a number of sessions. It's not rare for clients to be crying during these sessions as they're covering stuff that happened in their past. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, very significant issues that happen. But sometimes there's trapped emotion over, you know, my teacher said I'd never amount to anything or... You know, my parents said I was a mistake or, or whatever it might be. And and they have this big emotional release. And, that, and that's part of the process of healing. It's letting go of that trapped emotion and then reframing things so that instead of running an inefficient program that's being triggered, you're running a more efficient program where, you know, you can you can perform at your best. It's kind of like Elliot is like a standing desk, right? Like or like a treadmill desk. Like, why would you ever go back to like you can go to a regular therapist or you can go to Elliot, who will like work out your shit, and you get better at poker. Like you're doing two things at the <laughs> same it's time. It's for the price yeah. of one. It's a goddamn twofer. So I guess that's why. So my, my next question about the book was going to be, is that I assume you being a smart man who runs a good business, this book isn't going to put you out of business by people who read it and then decide, well, I don't ever need to talk to Elliot in person then. I, I shouldn't think so. Um, the book is going to give everyone a framework to follow. Um, the reality is that for, for me now, like the majority of my business is now outside of poker. So CEOs of companies, Wall Street traders, founders of companies, like that, that's sort of the majority of my business. And then I'm working with some high stakes poker players and they're the ones that, that you're talking to. But I now have a team of coaches oh. um, who I've trained who help, um, help with people in different areas so really this is an introduction to mindset to understanding the strategies that you can use to improve and then if someone wants to do the deeper work obviously a book is a book is never going to be able to do the deep work for you then then we have a team who can help with that um if i'm not the right fit when you talk about the team it sounds like the business has expanded in the three and a half yeah, years since so, we last spoke. So the business is is going well. We I've, I've trained a number of people who are hypnotherapists and I've trained them in what I do differently. Um, and then we also, so we just wanted to make sure there were people at different price ranges that, that could help anyone. And then we have Prime Mind, the app that we've been running for years and that starts off free. So anyone can download Prime Mind for free and there's like 40 audios that you never have to pay for. And then if you wanted to upgrade, there's an upgrade you can buy. And then we've got the book and then we've got a, a video course as well, which is the A-game masterclass that we sell. So there's, there's a lot of different arms to the business now. And as I say, this was about really, I, I, I wanted while I was still doing enough in poker to be relevant, I wanted to release the book as my sort of, hey, this is my thoughts. And, yeah. and now seemed like the right time to do that. 
Well, I can understand now why these people would willingly give you give you their stories if you're really sort of changing their lives in multiple ways. I'm glad that you mentioned the other sorts of captains of industry that you work with because I'm very curious what is up with this murder mystery weekend you're doing with Phil Galfond where <laughs> I mean it sounds like a setup to like a Poirot novel. It's, it's one of those uh, one of those Netflix. Um yeah, yeah I mean that this is this is his thing. So I I run those type well I did run those types of events. Um Phil's been a guest at them and he's enjoyed coming to them. Um, I've decided to move away from running those events and he's running his own. So, you know, I'm buying a ticket to Phil's event. So that's the extent of, <laughs> of what I'm doing with that. But I've always found these business networking events, um, really, really useful. So, um, yeah, you go and spend a few days with some, some interesting people from different industries and you talk about what you've learned and what they've learned. And I, I've just always found that I've always got way more out of those types of events than they cost me. Um, so anytime I see an interesting one show up, I, I try and go to them. I go to them, you know, around the country. Um, it's just great for building network and, and learning more about business and life um, and building, you know, meeting interesting people. So that's that's his event. I'm I'm a guest. Yeah, well, not a guest. I'm a <laughs> an <laughs> I'm, attendee. I'm a ticket purchase. An attendee. Yeah. That's a better word. Um, yeah, and I, as I say, it's it's just fun. James, have you seen this? So Phil's doing this, like basically, like the like a like a weekend think or week long think tank, like in the Palm Desert, and it's like ten k a ticket. And I'm thinking, like, maybe I should go. Maybe <laughs> I should go be in the think tank. I have I have things to contribute. I can I can have people think about things from a. I can bring an interesting perspective to, uh, if, and to it Elliot and Elon different Musk. Perspectives. What's that? It, well, it's the different perspectives. It's it. And, and you know you're very high performing in what you do, and you would bring a very interesting. You just sold a and fucking copy of your of things... book, Elliot, right there. No <laughs> high performing in what I do. Five copies. <laughs> keep going. Keep the compliments coming. I think also uh, Phil will gratefully receive the the money for the ticket as well. So uh... is it sold out yet? I, I, he's had a ton of applications. I don't know. I just I wanted know him to say that I can go. I don't necessarily, you know what I mean? Like you I don't want to go. You just, you just want to go to a, a green light. I want exactly. I want to be like, all right, Staves, maybe we you, have a spot for you. I'll be like, you, you've been 10, enabled. 10, Consider yourself enabled. Eesh, ah, not so sure. Uh, Elliot, what is the, what's the distribution strategy for the book? The website still says coming December. We're now in December. Yeah. So, um, wait, I don't want to give a date in, in the next week or so it should okay. be uploaded onto amazon um, and distributed um so so we're using their publishing method so um it'll come it'll be printed by amazon you know delivered by them um so that i just we because it's the first book we've released i i don't want to give an exact day because i'm not quite sure on the timeline of of how many days it is from when the upload happens sure. but um by mid-month um it should be available on amazon and you can go on the site now and click on the notification list and give us your email and then we'll be reaching out and i, I can assure you we're going to let everyone know as soon as it's as soon as it's available to buy crucially available in time for christmas and available exactly. for joe to buy multiple copies 
Yeah, if you could buy five, Joe, I would appreciate it. Look, that's what I do. Elliot, I don't know if you consider us to be friends, but anytime I have a friend that writes a book, I buy five copies, I give them away at Christmas time. So uh, if you're oh. willing to call me high performing and a friend, then. Uh, oh, there we go. You're high performing and a friend. And, you know, if you want a signed copy, you can have one. Oh, my God. I would love a signed copy. I have a whole uh, <laughs> shelf of my bookshelf at home dedicated to, to the people who have autographed books for me. So I would love to add this to the collection. Send me your address. Okay, perfect. We'll do. Uh, well, Elliot, um, best of luck with the book and best of luck with the ongoing change and transformation and expansion of the business. By this rate, if we speak in another three and a half years, you'll probably own half the bloody planet. Well, let's, let's see what we can do. Thank you very much <laughs> for talking I've, to us. Hopefully I've helped half the planet by then. Exactly. Really that's, that's, that's objective A. Ownership is objective B. Uh, we will catch up <laughs> with you again soon. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Well, that's almost it for this show. It's almost it for 2023. But, of course, we cannot end the podcast without having a superfan. So we say hello to Ed. Nice greetings, Ed. Hello, guys. How you doing? What's up, Ed? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spare you last name jokes, except except to ask if people ever call you a nice guy, Eddie, like from Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> I, uh, I get it occasionally. Yeah. Occasionally, I'll take that. Uh, the tone of voice was like, I'll tolerate that. Yeah, it wasn't like, kind of like, oh, you're a funny guy, Joe. It was, yeah, I'll tolerate that. It was like that. mildly amusing. That is probably a more accurate way to phrase it, yeah. I'll take tolerance. That's uh, <laughs> that's that's a lot better than I do with most audiences. Uh, Ed, let's talk about you for a second. Let's, uh, let's hear a little bit about you. Um, a little bit about me. Well, I am obviously a poker fan. Um, I've been listening to you guys for a little while, which is uh, which is always good in the mornings on my route to work. Um, I um, I'm actually a, a manager for a, a wedding venue, uh, so in the in the business of love. Um, wow! All right, Look, I love yeah, that's it. pretty slick, man. By the I way, already want to book your space. By the way, <laughs> you've, you've, you've got you've got to put more emphasis on the last word. You're in the business of love. Love. I there think, you go. There I you think go. if we had been getting a tour of wherever hall he runs, we would have <laughs> gotten a much better sell. Uh, what are the prices like? How how much is a wedding going to cost me in your venue? Um, it's. I mean, it's 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 very varied. Um, our peak season is sort of twenty k upwards for uh for your kind of starting package. And that's what are you, what do you get in the starting package? Uh, you get the works. You get everything. Okay. And, um, so canapes, welcome drinks. You get your uh, the ceremony, exclusive use of the venue. You, so see, you seem a little too interested in this, Joe. Is there something that I, we should no, be talking about? No, I just love a party. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> I had some really awful uh, Christmas tapas last night, and I'm hoping <laughs> your canapé selection is better than what I had, which was a slice of turkey on a cracker. Well, I, I, I can, I can say safely say that our canapé selection is is far greater, far better than uh, than turkey on a cracker. I'm sure you're going to be vouching for your canapés. Um, key question, Ed: Poker. Yes. How much do you play? What kind of stakes are you at? Uh, what I like to do is um, is play in the evenings. I um, very much remain in the micro stakes. Uh, I like to build up my bankroll and then set it all on fire by moving up to low stakes. <laughs> Um, and I do that every now and then, uh, just maintain a, a, a steady, 
steady bankroll at a kind you, of yeah okay so i'm guessing that a 109 dollar buy-in is above your normal that's level. good yeah it is right yeah, it so is above my usual my usual uh stakes so the fact that we have not one but two 109 dollar bronze power passes up for grabs here is a decent incentive now i should highlight the reason why i've doubled the prize is because i set the superfan subject and you very kindly and i'm going to emphasize that word kindly and possibly naively volunteered <laughs> to be the superfan for this week's quiz because i did pick what is widely regarded as one of the worst films ever made um, a little-known 1993 vanity project called Champagne and Bullets. Um, I'm going to come to you in a moment, Ed. Joe, you watched this last night. I need to know your reaction. So, all right, good news and bad news is the bad news is that I had to walk away from a party I was at last night realizing that I had to go home and watch this movie still. The good news is there were Christmas tapas there, which really sucked. So I was happy <laughs> to walk away from it. This movie... It, I, I, this is going to be controversial. Not everything about this movie is bad. And some of the performances are pretty good, in my opinion. And some of the writing is pretty good. The problem is the good actor has terrible writing. And the good writing is all with terrible actors. So there's nothing about it that, like actually works but i've had this idea for a long time now where it's an anthology series like a tv show like a black mirror except you get talented directors to come in and remake bad movies like this Ooh. but to do it well because i think that this movie in the hands of more capable actors and directors would be watchable would be all right but it is very strange so i guess i have to answer your question with a question james how is this movie on our radar in the first place? Like, how did how did this? It feels like the ring. Like, you have to show it to seven people, or you die in seven days. It's one of those movies which has been discussed by numerous YouTube channels, where people do those watch parties or do those. So it's like a Plan Nine from Outer Space kind of thing. Yeah, and the reason I came across it is we watched Blackbird, right? Which yeah. was a notorious vanity project by Michael Flatley. Then you start going down the rabbit hole of like Neil Breen movies and other people who basically self finance write and direct okay, the movie. So, follow-up question. Where did this guy's money come from that he was that this is a vanity project for him? I believe he is a lawyer. He's a lawyer in real life. Yes. Interesting. He is. He okay. Is. All uh, right. Anyway, Ed, I need your reaction because I don't know whether you were aware what you were letting yourself in for when you started watching this film. Um I was not aware of <laughs> Of what I was getting myself into. I think you said naively agreed. That was probably a good way to describe it. I would like to say thank you, though, because what I think it has done is made my appreciation <laughs> for any other film I can be at an all-time high. Um, I really struggled watching it. I actually I had to come back to it two or three times um, because I got bored and started counting you see my toes. I did not get bored in this because, like, again, to compare it to the Michael Flatley movie, that was dull as all get out. Whereas this was so awful and incompetent in places that it was unintentionally hilarious, and I found it entertaining. I don't know if we're allowed to say this anymore, but there's a lot of nudity in this movie, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, there's <laughs> nothing like 90s boobs. I mean, not being funny, this is the apps in the same way that when 
the character that Michael Flatley created for himself was irresistible to women. The protagonist of this movie, the writer of this movie, has given himself not one, not two, but three overlong sex scenes. But they're all with the woman he loves, right? Correct. Like, which is pretty awesome that he's like such a romantic. And I, I genuinely, spoiler alert, or maybe not, when his wife dies... I've, I felt something. Oh, Jesus Christ, Joe. You clearly have been drinking last night. <laughs> uh, by the way, those sex scenes are cringe-inducingly awful. Anyway, well, they, they induced something, and it wasn't cringing on I, my part. I don't want to get into too much detail because many of the plot points, <laughs> many of the key scenes in the movie are covered by this quiz, compiled not by Patrick but by producer Chris, Chris who writes, <laughs> Note for Stapes, there are two questions in this quiz which are not observational. <laughs> thanks thanks chris but ed you Fuck, are i should have Googled fan. the movie you are our guest so i need you to give me a number between one and ten all right let's start with number two please number two what is the name of the man who wrote directed starred in and contributed several songs to the movie champagne and bullets i forgot about the songs that is john dehart john dehart for two points and Joe, you are up. I'm glad that you chose that question because I wouldn't have known that without the choices, and I really should have known that. Okay. Uh, I'll always come seven. Question number seven. What does Huck do with his utility bills? And Chris is searching for a very specific answer to this question. He does two things to his utility bills. Um, uh, since it's so specific, I'll take the choices. Does he pay his utility bills? Does he shoot them and then flush them down the toilet? Does he eat them and then do a few shots? Or does he ring his wife to tell her he can't pay alimony because he can't pay his bills? Uh, his wife shows up, so I'm going to eliminate that one. I think he shoots them and then flushes them down the toilet, That's right? exactly yeah. what he does. And at this point in time... Do we think Wingshauser was sober in any scene in this movie? I don't know, but I actually kind of enjoyed his performance. I think that he <laughs> oh I, he's the one I'm talking about. I think that some of the scenes, I think he goes through. I, I could picture him as that character, I guess. Okay. Hot take from Joe Stapleton. So uh, we do not have number two or number seven available, Ed, but any other question you can have. I'll go uh, number four, please. Question number four. After Rick sings at the bar, what's the next act to take place? Uh, that's the... Um... I'll take the choices, please. Is it a magic act? Is it another singer? Is it a drinking contest? Or is it a strip show? Ah, it's the strip show. <laughs> it is the strip show for one point, which then, of course... Do leads get... to someone making a formal complaint to the police. Correct. The, co <laughs> the cops show up 30 seconds later. <laughs> they, heard, they heard there was some 90s boobs happening. Your yeah. Ne your next question. Uh, what, 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 did he, what, what did Ed just pick? Number four. I'll take three then, please. What is the name of the song that Rick sings at the bar? I'll need the choices. Is it the Hippie Hippie Shake, the Shimmy Slide, the Shake Shack, or the Slip and Slide? What's choice number two? The shimmy slide. The shimmy slide. Come on, pretty baby, let's do the shimmy slide. A song which we have to listen to in its entirety. 
Uh, uh, every song in this movie you have to listen to in its entirety. The ones that he sings and also just like the ambient music, it's like they have to let the whole track play before yeah. they play a different yeah. one. Uh, you got a point there. It, the score is 3-2 as we go into the third round. Uh, questions still available, Ed, are 1, 5, 6, 8, 9, and 10. Let's go number 10. Question number 10. <laughs> wow. What is the name of the Native American mannequin that Huck gives Rick before his confrontation with the satanic cult? It's in the credits. I mean, the fact that that is oh a question. It's credited. Uh, the Native American mannequin, I'll tell you this, the name of the character is different than the name of the actual mannequin. Well, I'm specifically searching for the character name of the Native American mannequin that Huck gives to Rick before his confrontation with the satanic cult. We're going to have to take the choices. Is it Sam, Dennis, Wilf, or Dave? Uh, this is just a pure guess. Um, we'll go with Wilf. It was Sam. That was a tough one. But that's where variance comes into play. It's going to give me a chance. It's going to give you a chance it's gonna give to me a fight at least chance. draw even. And you can take the lead if you don't need the options. Uh, uh, is my lucky number nine still available? Lucky number nine is still available. Let's do it. Rick is fond of a certain item of clothing, judged by the amount of times he wears it on screen. What is that item of clothing? Oh. Ah. Uh. I'll take the choices. I don't know why I don't know this. Is it a USA bandana, black leather trousers, a rugby jersey, or Air Jordans? Rugby jersey. No, it's black leather trousers. Oh. I can't believe you didn't spot those trousers. They are something special. No, I guess not. Weird. Okay. Uh, one, five, six, or eight, Ed? I uh, guess he just seems so natural in the black leather pants. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ed, I talked to which Which number do you want? Oh, sorry. Uh, number six, please. Number six. Normad is Rick and Huck's former cop buddy who single-handedly frames them for being drug dealers, then goes on to become a judge, and is then to be re revealed to be the leader of a satanic cult. What is Normad's first name? Ooh. Hmm. I think I'll have to take the choices. Is it... Damien, Lucifer, Beelzebub, or is it never actually revealed? I think I'm going to go for never actually revealed. It was a trick question. We don't know. So, yes, you do get the point there. And, Joe, your penultimate question, one, five, or eight? Give me one, please. Champagne and Bullets was released in 1993, but has been re-released twice with different titles each time. Can you name at least one of the alternative titles to this shit show of a movie? Uh, with the choices? Options are available. Yeah, sure. Okay. Road to Redemption, Get Even, Road to Revenge, or Get Back? Get Even. Get Even was an alternative Woo! title for this movie. So, it's 4-3 going into the final round. One and five are the last two questions on the board, Ed. Wait, I just Sorry. took one. Sorry. Five and 
eight of the last two questions so available. So Ed can put this to bed if he gets this without the choices, Correct. right? Okay. Let's go with number five, please. What does Rick do after Cindy tells him that she witnessed a baby being sacrificed during a satanic cult ritual? Uh, I'm going to take the choices. Does he? Tell her that he'll get his cop buddies to find the cult and bring them to justice. Does he sing the shimmy slide? Does he recite Hamlet? Or does he use an ice, uh, an ice cube to seduce her? Um... So immediately he, after she's told this heartbreaking story about how she witnessed a baby being slaughtered, he does indeed. He recites Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> so that means the score is five three. Joe, you and get I actually thought that scene was quite funny when she says, "Did Hamlet write that?" And he's like, "No, Shakespeare did, or whatever." Like I thought. Anyway, I didn't think every I didn't think every line of dialogue was terrible. Okay, you are objectively wrong. You're entitled <laughs> to your opinion, but you are wrong. All right, so I got a shot here. If I if I get no no options here, okay, I win. There's by the way, there is a little bit of a build up to the actual question here, okay, which yeah. for anyone who hasn't seen Champagne and Bullets will make you want to seek out this movie and watch it. Okay. After Huck is imprisoned for not paying alimony, he drinks bleach, is hospitalized, and has an awakening after being visited by a nun. This awakening includes wading in a pool with mostly naked women. What color is Huck's hair spray painted when he's in the pool? So if I get the choices, I tie, right? No, you can't win. You can tie if you get it without I, the choices. All right, then I got to choose without the choices. You got to choose a color. By the way, there is one of the women in the pool also has her hair spray painted this color. P pink. I'm afraid it was orange. And so, you have... Congratulations, Ed. You have won this game of Superfan vs. Stapes. Hopefully, the pain of watching this movie was <laughs> worth it. Because you I are going to get the enhanced prize package. I would have been incredibly disappointed if I had sat through the movie and lost the quiz. That would have been... Uh, yeah, that would really suck, wouldn't it, Ed? <laughs> would really fucking suck to have watched this movie and stayed up past midnight to do it and then lose the goddamn quiz. I, like I said, I this this movie kind of made me nostalgic, too, for um, when I first started watching movies and independent film. You occasionally watch a really bad movie like this. It takes place in L.A., which I consider to be my hometown at this point. So it wasn't all bad for me. Okay. I think we can agree that Joe is the exception here. Still drunk. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to his analysis of this film. Ed, you are going to get two bronze power passes. You're going to get the Poker in the Ears Enhanced Merch Pack as well. We will be in touch to get your details. Thank you for being our final super fan of 2023. Thank you for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you both for having me. All right, my babies, that's just about all the time we've got for this week's show, for this season's show, for this year's final show. Coming up next time, it's 2024. No new shows until 
February. We are going to take an extended winter break. So we're going to be coming back, I think, on the 1st of February, the first day of that month. So gone for most of December, but you do have six days of live streaming from EPT Prague. Gone for the whole of January, but then back with a vengeance in February 2024. All right. So I guess that'll be our Prague recap show. There's no way you're going to remember <laughs> anything from Prague by February of next year. All right. Well, my guess is that we're going to be more looking ahead to the future that and maybe some more news about NEPTs, I'm maybe. hoping, by that point. But at the very least, we will be on our way. I mean, it'll be just about time for the Paris preview show at that point. So I'm looking forward to it. And we're also... We're closing in on our 300th episode. We are indeed. And if you study the numbers, you'll see that this is episode 294. So it doesn't take a genius to work out that we will hit episode 300 pretty early on in the new year. We like to do something special when we hit a centenary. We did a live show for episode 100. We did a special show for episode 200, which was during the pandemic uh, when we did the live show with um, Phil Helmuth and Aaron Sorkin. But when we say live show... For episode 300, I'd like to think that we can actually do it with an audience again and do a kind of actual event for our fans. I'm going to see if the Hammersmith Apollo is available. <laughs> That's probably the only way I'm ever going to get to do the Apollo, James, is if we rent it out for the 300th episode of the show. Ooh, I did stand-up last time, didn't I? You did. You did a tight five. I got some. I got a new tight five I could do. James, you've heard some of it. It's actually poker-relevant for I, once. I, I think that would be an awesome addition. We are already looking at what we're going to do for episode 300. And yes, we are planning to do something special, which hopefully many of you will be able to participate in. Details to follow when we come back next year. All right, one quick little plug here for my American friends. There's 25 days of tournaments happening on Poker Stars USA. That's in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. December 5th through 29th, a new tournament unveiled every night at 9 p.m. in the lobby with... Uh, exclusive bonus prizes added. So sporting event tickets, uh, autograph stuff from team pros, and lots and lots of other tournament tickets being added every single day. And for those of you who play on regular Poker Stars, of course, we already mentioned the New Year Series because we're giving away New Year Series tickets in the mini EPT tournaments during Prague. Uh, one final thing I would like to say is that during the time we're off air, I will be looking to recruit super fans for 2024. So on Discord, there is a dedicated channel for superfan applications, please get your details in there with your chosen specialist subject, and I'll try sending some DMs during the winter break and trying to get people lined up for when we come back strong in 2024. Yeah, all right. Let's get the uh, keep the Discord alive and kicking during our hiatus, except for you, KPT, RPT, you're fucking banned. Okay, that is all the time we have got for this week, for this season, for this year. Happy holidays, happy new year, and until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton, smell you later. <laughs>